I believe that uh, not only in India, globally, there has been a significant talk and less action on the needs of the society. And one of the gaps that we can clearly see is investing in clean tech and climate tech space. Most of the investment in climate tech or clean tech so far has happened around renewable energy, that too largely driven by solar, hydro and wind to an extent. But there is a much more disruption that can be brought in by investing in technologies related to decarbonization, circular economy, biological sequestration of carbon through agrofore agroforestry and many other technologies which can solve the challenges that we are currently facing. Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays, which as you know is a weekly conversation with accomplished entrepreneurs, VC investors and other folk who are doing significant work in India's startup ecosystem. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. I'm Hariyarakli and my guest today is Satya Bansal, founder and CEO at Blue Ashwa Capital, a Singapore and India VC firm that is focused on backing entrepreneurs building sustainable businesses in what Satya calls core sectors in this region. Satya started life in a village in Rajasthan and as you go along today we'll of course ask him about that. He earned a chartered accountant's qualification and later attended an advanced management program at Harvard Business School. In a career that spans more than 30 years, he rose to become a leader in private banking, first at ICICI Bank in Singapore and then at Barclays, where he was chief executive of private bank in India for more than 10 years. He started Blue Ashwa in 2019 and the firm is investing about 150 million dollars in startups that are attempting to solve big problems in energy, food security, climate change and economic immobility of those at the bottom of the pyramid. Satya, fantastic to have you with us today sir. Welcome to Startup Fridays. Thanks Hari. Really appreciate your very very elaborate introduction. I don't deserve it but Thanks for the introduction. All right. So uh, let's let's get started with a fairly simple question. Um, I think a lot of people will also be curious about the path that brought you to Blue Ashwa. So maybe you could. I know it's a very long three-decade uh, career. Just give us a snapshot of the path that brought you to Blue Ashwa, and we'll go from there. Thanks, Hari. It's a very uh, interesting and long career. I started my journey as a project finance officer. way back in early 90s with IDBI when IDBI used to be heydays the the good old days of IDBI as a man project financial institutions working on various projects uh, trying to evaluate them from a project funding perspective and then over 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 next three decades i spent uh, in various roles in banking and financial services right from project finance to corporate finance asset leasing debt capital market equity capital market distress asset sometime in 90 at 2000 and then i joined icici way back in 2000 to start icici direct the, the the biggest online trading platform and i had the privilege to be part of the founding team to set up that and uh, that led me to multiple other roles in icici culminating with uh, as head of private banking as a regional head in singapore and then i joined barclays uh, way back in 2007 building their business for private banking in india right from ground zero and then that role continued for more than a decade uh in between i had taken a bit of sabbatical i went to harvard to do my advanced management program and that that's where i could mm. build a good amount of global network and meeting some very very interesting folks and uh, that led me another introspection to do something more meaningful in life and uh, that's where mm. 
uh, after almost spending 28 years in the in the banking and financial services sector, I thought of setting up the Blue Aswa Capital. Maybe we'll talk about Blue Aswa uh, as we progress. Absolutely. So, but let's delve into that introspection a little bit more. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a sort of a brief glimpse into it uh, when we spoke a few weeks ago. Uh, tell us about that introspection. What were you thinking that led uh, to the start of uh, Blue Ashwa? So I have spent uh, last uh, decade and a half working with some of the best of the entrepreneurs globally as in my role as a private banker. And I, as I met more and more successful people, uh, I realized that uh, while they have uh, a significant amount of wealth at disposal, what is equally important for them is to channelize the wealth in, in, in a meaningful avenues to create uh, uh, impact in the society. Maybe philanthropic way, which is not sustainable beyond a point, could be entrepreneurial way, whereby they can identify the right businesses which they can back and create wealth and also wider good for society. So that was there in the back of my mind uh, for last uh, 10 odd years or so. Uh, when I took a bit of sabbatical, it was a time for me to be little away from day to day and uh, introspect of what my learnings were and how I was uh, seeing the environment around. Harvard was a good place to actually uh, maybe fine tune some bit of intros introspection. And uh, as I spent more time, I realized that uh, maybe as an individual or, or as a professional, I can channelize the capital better. Channelize the capital in the sectors which is required, which has got the wider impact on the society at the same time, wealth creator. So we are not saying that, hey, you do this, but you don't not get the return. I mean, I, 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 I always felt that you need to channelize the capital, which is wealth creating at the same time, value creating in the society. And let's bring the two together. And this has been going on since 2015 as I came back to my day-to-day -day role and it took me almost three years before I could step out and uh, build, uh, you can say, the background for Blue Aswa Capital. And the name is also fairly distinctive. How did you decide on Blue Ashwa? What's its significance for you? Uh, it has a bit of uh, story behind it. Uh, we all know about uh, Blue Sky Thinking. So you have to think ahead of time, what is going to be meaningful and impactful in future? And that gave the term blue. At the same time, we also felt that uh, as you build the business, you should be very much grounded. You should, you, you should actually stay in reality, uh, which means you should have the agility, perseverance, ability to play long haul, uh, go through the grind. Aswa, which is a Sanskrit term for uh, horse is very much agile and reflects the values that we try to bring in in our portfolios or our startup founders and other things. We wanted to basically stay connected to the ground. Unlike unicorns and decacorns and many corns that we come across, they are imaginary characters. We, we live in reality at the same time dream, dream for big impact ideas for the future. So the combination of blue and aswa signifies the future with the current reality. Mm. And you've talked about uh, in the past about how we looked at this trend of, uh, you know, as you advised many uh, affluent uh, clients and so on, uh, this trend of moving from uh, needs to wants. Uh, and you also connected it back to your very uh, early experiences in life and so on. Uh, and, and therefore, you talk about investing in uh, entrepreneurs who are doing meaningful things in core, what you call core sectors. So, so in that context, tell us a bit about 
what you've already done so far in the last three odd years uh, at Blue Ashwara, the kind of sectors you've backed, the kind of entrepreneurs you've backed. Give us some examples as well. So I always felt, uh, Hari, as I mentioned to you, that uh, we need to be, uh, we need to stay closer to reality. And the reality is that needs are real. Wants have got no definition. You can keep desiring as much as you can and you may have still not fulfilled them. So we wanted to stay core to the real needs of the society. Uh, real needs of the society relates to uh, what we consider uh, core to us for our living, a sustainable living in the society. Could be environment, could be food, could be uh, the availability of finance. These are real needs of the society. Uh, we thought that if you are channelizing the capital, let's channelize the capital which has got the biggest impact on the society. And that's the reason we came with this concept of core and not derivatives, need versus wants. What we realized that most of the people, as they get more and more wealthy, they have a desire to contribute something to the society. And at some stage, philanthropy, philanthropical, uh, you can say aspirations get in. The stage could be different for different set of individuals. What if, if your wealth creation stage itself can meet a large part of philanthropic pursuits? by channelizing your capital in the sectors which has got a wider impact for needs of the society and which are catering to the core of the society. So that is the theme that which we, around which we started build, building the Blue Aswa uh, uh, base. Uh, as we went about and uh, started getting more and more uh, focused in, in our investment journey, it's been almost two years since we have been actively investing. It took me almost a year for our entire team to set up the fund platform in India and fund platform in Singapore, getting all the regulatory approvals and getting all the building blocks in place. So for the last two years, we have been actively investing. We have looked at thousand plus deals so far. Uh, we realized that there are some sectors which are not getting adequate capital or maybe attention from the uh, current uh, ecosystem. And one such gap we identify was in green and sustainable investing, which you can typically call it a clean tech investing. Also, uh, some other core sectors like fintech and others, but a little bit focus more on the on the clean tech side of it, because that's not something which is being seen on day to day basis in the in, in, in the in the VC circle in the in the VC ecosystem. Now, of course, there's a larger awareness, but then we thought let's stay put to some of these core sectors, core needs of the society, which can create a meaningful impact at the same time can create uh, multifold wealth for our stakeholders. That's how we connected to this. And as we started going into the investment theme, uh, we of course started interacting with the large ecosystem uh, partners. Uh, we realized that uh, many of these clean tech investment or the so-called climate tech investment has got a significant amount of deep tech risk uh, because mm -hmm. uh, this has not been tried and tested in the past. The business model is, 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 is to evolve, but it has got a significant uh, needs uh, for the society, it, it meets the significant needs of the society at the same time can be very rewarding. So I'll give you examples just to relate to it. Single use plastic is a common problem that we face on a day to day basis. As we go inclined to more and more e-commerce based shopping where there's significant amount of packaging and over packaging that we get across, we are creating more and more challenges around uh, use of single use plastic in our day to day life. Uh, what can we do about it? Of course, we need to reduce the packaging, but at the same time, whatever we get it, that should be biodegradable. 
we have been scouting for solutions globally actually which can which can address this challenge so when we came come came across an interesting startup in bangalore uh, called bamboo and they had a very interesting solution which is a uh, paper based packaging solution coated with organic uh, material which is food grade and at the same time biodegradable which can hold both the hot and cold together and all kind of packaging for our day to day use as well as e-commerce application we found that this is a good enough solution that we can be tried uh, at a larger scale not only in india but also globally another example air pollution is a common challenge not only in the emerging world which we are all familiar with but also in the developed world you would be surprised to know that us equally has a got a air pollution problem because of forest fire australia has a problem so it's not a problem confined only to markets like india we have a larger problem to deal with but how do we tackle with air pollution it's a common problem for the wider society so when we came across a very interesting team which has uh, which has evolved an idea right from the days when they were working uh, uh, when they were studying in stanford and then coming back and building a very very interesting disruptive solution which can address air pollution at scale just imagine if you can set up mm-hmm. a wifi like device in your outdoor setting and that can reduce air pollution mm-hmm. by 70 to 80% and in a radius of 50 to 100 kilometers imagine the amount of impact that we can have so when we when we looked at devikarth we had a very very strong uh, you can say thesis that we want to address the air pol- air pollution at scale and here is the founders team here is the technology which can address it when we looked mm-hmm. at uh, very recent investment of ours 1090 uh, it's basically an iit chennai incubator company they have brought in a solution for cold chain logistics completely off grid does not require continuous supply of power does not require refer vents mm-hmm. to carry any of your uh, cold chain material be it fresh fruits or mm-hmm. uh, uh, medicines or for that matter vaccines and all that we found that they have got a very very strong application use case in first mile last mile as well as mid mile we could i mean there was no way that we could disagree with the opportunity that that was there in front of in front of us and we thought of backing it so is the case when we came across another interesting startup we all talk about evs industry in india we know that battery is core to it but what is core to the battery is the cell today mm. india is importing i mean i am giving you the indian context but this is a common problem in many of the developed markets which has got a developing market which has got desire to get into ev ecosystem as well that there is a significant amount of dependency on ev cell imports either you import it from china korea or for that matter a few other countries now if there is a if there is a founder as a company uh, which is building indigenous technology for ev cell manufacturing in the uh, for the battery cell manufacturing in the country it is definitely an idea to back with of course we need to do further due diligence with regard to the team the technology the prototype what stage of tech, uh, techno technology journey they are but when we came across godi again a very interesting thesis emerged that hey let's address this need for catering to the core uh, to the ev ecosystem by getting into cell manufacturing and to have that first you need to have a very uh, developed evolved cell technology in the country so we back uh, godi mm-hmm. for that matter again is a case with when we were talking about uh, uh, and i'm i'm just going on uh, only on the clean tech and climate side we have also done investment in fintech side and maybe i can touch upon later on that uh, when we looked at a very interesting company in pune these are this is the team which is they spent time mid 40s spent time with cargills uh, and tatas in the past 
when they had a solution to produce second generation green diesel, second generation biofuel. Today, when you talk about biodiesel, it's largely uh, a diesel which comes with a calorific value which is around 80% of the normal hydrocarbon diesel. Here is a team which is able to produce exactly the same calorific value as a hydrocarbon diesel is. And they're replacing uh, diesel consumption by a green fuel, second generation, exactly replacing hydrocarbon diesel. So when we came across green jewels in, in Pune and the steam in Pune, we of course got much more excited about the opportunity and we started that we of course invested in uh, scaling up the business, not only in India, but also outside India as, uh, as the situation requires. So our thesis actually came from the needs of the society and we were connecting the dots by channelizing the capital to, uh, to the needs of the society and in the process creating, creating a perfect blend of philanthropic aspiration of the wealth and wealth creation aspiration of the wealth at the same time serving the wider society by connecting the uh, enterprise and employment together. So if you look at it uh, in another way, uh, I mean, different entrepreneurs tackling different problems, but obviously there is some kind of a common set of characteristics that you know really characterize all these entrepreneurs and what they're trying to do. So in that context, in making an investment, uh, what are the things that you really look for? See, uh, if you see most of our investment, innovation has been innovation has been core to our investment theme. So as I mentioned to you, we always look at the needs of the society rather than wants. Then we also look at whether this business is innovation led or execution is the only differentiation that this business can provide. If the business is innovation led, that gives a lot more comfort to us. And I'm not trying to undermine the power of execution. It's equally important. Merely innovation cannot help. You need to have a very, very strong execution ethics and the culture in the business. But we believe it's an innovation lad catering to the core of the society. Uh, this has got a significant uh, uh, headway. And if it is if it disruptive enough, when I say innovation, it has to be disruptive enough that it 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 is it is challenging the, the current status quo with a significant amount of delta. And it cannot be an incremental innovation alone. So I'm not talking mm. about saying if we are able to able better biofuel uh, by by uh, by two percent lesser cost or five percent more competitive cost. Hey, we are we are able to replace hydrocarbon diesel uh, exactly. It's a second generation biofuel, and that's the reason we are there. It's disruptive because we are able to produce cell technology in India. And I'll give you another example of of this. Uh, look at what has happened in the current supply chain uh, industry. Global market is suffering because of supply chain issues and containers have become a very, very important aspect of it. So we, when we recently invested in a startup called Matchlock, our thesis was that supply chain logistic and container, container availability and faster turnaround is going to be uh, very key to it. Can we bring a disruptive innovation which can not only cater to needs of markets like India, but also can go global and disrupt the entire logis uh, logistic space, uh, container logistic space? by reducing the empty empty haulage. So when we looked at the solution, we figured out that the solution, if properly executed globally, can become a significant value driver for decarbonization in the shipping industry, shipping container logistic industry. So it is not only bringing down the, uh, the logistic cost, but also helping the environment by, de by decarbonizing the whole value chain. So we are trying to combine uh, innovation and disruptiveness with execution so that we can create a larger and wider impact in a capital efficient way. And that's what this is. 
Now, innovation also has got a little larger amount of risk associated because the business model or the product or the process or the technology has not yet been tried. So there is an amount of delta risk that we carry incrementally for this. And we should also look at it that for that extra delta risk that we carry when we invest in, in innovation-led business, we should be equally rewarded for our uh, equally rewarding for our stakeholders so that they can they can provide more and more capital as as our fund requires or as we invest in more and more businesses. Mm. Yes, yeah, so on that point, uh, in terms of the opportunity for uh, people who are willing to take the risk to invest in areas like this, if you sort of step back uh, and look at uh, the whole scenario from your perspective and with your experience, what's the what's sort of the big picture opportunity in India? Kind of lay out the broad 80,000 feet view for us. I believe that uh, not only in India, globally, there has been a significant talk and less action on the needs of the mm. society. And one of the gaps that we can clearly see is investing in clean tech and climate tech space. Uh, I believe this has been more of a conference agenda item. Most of the investment in climate tech or clean tech so far has happened around renewable energy, that too largely driven by solar, hydro and wind to an extent. But there is a much more disruption that can be brought in by investing in technologies related to decarbonization, circular economy, uh, biological sequestration of carbon through agro for agroforestry, and many other technologies which can solve the challenges that we are currently facing. And the challenges could relate to single-use plastic, over-dependence on fossil fuels, need for mm. Uh, very disruptive hydrogen producing technology, uh, need for green ammonia or uh, you can say microalgae and macroalgae and uh, plant protein as a food security as well as value chain driver. There are, there are multiple avenues in the sole space that we can link it. And if you can overlay it with, with some amount of, uh, uh, you can say with little more extended uh, avenues to provide capital to the uh, to the wider uh, society uh, which can impact again have a multiplier effect then this becomes a wholesome you are talking of clean and climate tech at the same time you are also talking about cost 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 effective capital at the grassroots level so we have also invested in an nbfc idea of investing in the nbfc was to provide uh, capital to the uh, small and medium enterprises at a, at a fairly reasonable terms we have invested again in a company which is into B2B, B2B BNPL, which is lending to uh, Kirana Merchant, a company called ePay Letter. Idea is to basically uh, remain connected to the uh, to the more efficient provision of capital uh, in, a, in a in a very efficient manner uh, at the grassroots level. So, if mm. you combine yeah. the two together, it brings a larger impact. Mm. You alluded to uh, the additional risk uh, with climate tech, for example, when you talked about uh, deep tech risk and, and you've uh, written about this on your website as well in terms of the deep tech dilemma. And uh, uh, the Blue Ashwa Labs, I feel, is one of the very unique experiments right now in India in terms of you know trying to, in a, in a commercial manner, back serious science-based experiments uh, tell us about that a little bit. What are the kinds of experiments that you've already invested in? What are some of the early uh, findings? Uh, you know, and what what kind of prospects do you see for these experiments? So as we 
as we started building our uh, fund platform here in Singapore, and we were scouting around various uh, opportunities to invest, uh, we soon realized that uh, there are not many ready-to-invest innovations that you can straight away write the check or invest and expect them to deliver magic. We realized that lot many of these disruptions still are at innovation stage. Uh, lab scale, they are at technology readiness level four or five. And oh. of course, need to be worked a little bit more for six months to a year before they can be actually invested as an enterprise. And most of the academic institutions are grant focused. They provide research grant to get this proof, proof of concept demonstrated and maybe IP filed, patent being filed. But the, the mm. dilemma from, from identifying the IP and filing the IP to actually converting it to commercial enterprise, this is what we mm. have elaborated on our website also. This falls into this value of death. And many mm. of these innovations actually come, arise, develop, prove, and then die at the lab scale in many academic and research institutions. So we wanted these disruptive innovations to see the light of the day by adequately supporting them to bring them to the commercial market. But it requires a very different approach. And here I'm gladful that we could find someone like uh, my colleague, Mr. Paresh Trivedi, who has worked with uh, multi large uh, global organizations, including Reliance, British Petroleum, and various specialty chemical company. And he gave me a very significant insight that, Satya, we need to handhold them to this journey. And handholding does not merely mean that we simply advise them and mentor them. We actually handhold them to prove their technology from lab scale to commercial scale by setting up into in our decarbonations uh, labs that we have to set up the furnaces, distillation columns. So it basically it's a kind of a giving them the whole equipment, lab space, and handholding them through our networks and connect to make sure that whatever they have demonstrated a lab scale is actually real and workable in the commercial setting. So we initially started with our uh, Blue Osa labs in Singapore, and uh, of course we have uh, we invited multiple technology innovators to come and demonstrate it in our lab. Now the lab is fully functional for last uh, uh, year and a half plus. And then based on our experience in Singapore, we also set up another lab uh, there uh, in India. Uh, this is led by my colleague, Mr. Paresh Trivedi. And uh, he's providing the leadership to make sure that all those innovations that we see a significant amount of uh, power of value creation and power of impact creation are being harnessed to its fullest extent. Now. As we realize that uh, merely having the innovator and having the lab infrastructure and giving them handloading is not good, not good enough alone. We also need to have a significant amount of blessings and connect with larger ecosystem partners. And here we started connecting the dots with almost all the meaningful, you can say, ecosystem partners, be it our NTU and Ecolabs here in Singapore, uh, University of Haifa in Israel. We started working with the like-minded investors. Recently, we have an MOU with OCBC in Singapore and uh, Mistletoe, one of the Japanese family office here in Singapore. Uh, we started connecting with a lot of IITs in India, uh, various chemical research institutions, including ICT and ENS. So idea was to basically uh, connect all the ecosystem players together, bring the best in class research and innovators and give them whatever support, help, space, equipment and connects they require so that they can actually fulfill the dream of bringing their innovation to a real life environment and commercialize it. And that's where we had to set up Blue Oswa Labs as, a, as part of extended arm, which can incubate many of such innovations and that innovations can lead to enterprise, which uh, can then subsequently be invested by us as a commercial investor from our fund or along with other like-minded investors.
So if many of these uh, interesting uh, entrepreneurs and their ideas are at, uh, like you said, technology readiness level four, five, and you know if they need to go to seven, eight, nine, uh, then to your mind, uh, what have you found to be their biggest go-to-market challenges in India? And, and you just alluded to the point that uh, they need the connect with large corporate buyers. So I guess maybe you could talk about both of that. Yeah. So as I mentioned to you, if you look at our website also, we have mentioned that investment is core, but then innovation and the market connect is equally important. So uh, when we work with them in our Blue Oswa Labs program, we not only identify the best way to commercialize their innovation in a real life commercial setting by reducing the CapEx mm -hmm. and OpEx, but at the same time, connecting the dots to the uh, larger market ecosystem where they can actually uh, partner with a strategic player or partner with the uh, kind of an off taker so that their products whatever they come out with they get uh, they get commercially connected and and and, and uh, the market connect is established before uh, you can say larger capital is being put at risk so connecting the dots in the marketplace and providing them right market connect is a very very important aspect of it uh, i can give you some example i mean uh, so we have been working on a very interesting technology which is into converting orange peel into activated carbon for supercapacitor. Now it's very, uh, look a little technical and jargonist, but it's a very simple. Essentially, we are converting the peels that you throw after taking the orange juice out, connecting them into, converting them into carbon, then activating the carbon, which is of a grade, which can, which can go into supercapacitor batteries, EV batteries for that matter. So essentially creating value from the wealth. Now, having established the technology, having got the proof of concept and uh, having done it, now, what we are essentially doing is that now we are connecting the dots to the people who can offtake that product. And in the process, create a significant amount of value from the wealth, which is otherwise causing a lot of problem to dispose of. I can go on multiple examples to talk about it, but our idea is to connect. We have technologies in different spaces in decarbonization and circular economy. Uh, we have been working on uh, multiple innovations. Currently, we have about eight full-time PhD scientists operating out of our labs. We are currently incubating about nine odd technologies at different stages of, of commercialization. Our idea is to basically make sure that these technologies really turn up into a good viable business enterprises and impact the wider society. So we often uh, bemoan the point that uh, not enough translational research happens in India, for example. I mean, you've been talking about this moving from lab, lab research to commercial products that are useful for a large number of people and so on. But still, everything that you've been talking about now is evidence that things are actually changing quite significantly. So I was just thinking, from your vantage point, uh, you've had an inside insider's position, an inside view, and, uh, and also you played a role uh, uh, in the whole change that has happened in this region you know, economically over the last 30, 40 years. I'm just wondering, I'm an open-ended question. To your mind, what is kind of the uh, one or two biggest ways in which you see things are very different today in India? See, we still operate uh, a significantly large part of our portfolio out of India. But uh, looking India from outside in, I can tell you that our startup ecosystem has evolved significantly. I think today we are second to none when it comes to startup ecosystem. However, most of the startup ecosystem has been a copycat business model that we have seen succeeding elsewhere. We still need to get our true leadership in innovation-led startup ecosystem. 
and that requires a significant amount of hand holding or solutions like Bluesol apps because we have a significant amount of innovation talent in our in our research labs in our academic institutions in the country and government has been very proactive in supporting them through their research programs however beyond the research to the commercialization there is a significant amount of gap that need to be fulfilled by bringing together the industry leadership and investment leadership to connect with the innovation leadership and bring this 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 full circle so that these innovations that we see uh, happening with young scientists and our, our our technical and scientific pool that we have it can see the light of the day in real commercial venture in a profitable and sustainable way with a wider impact in the society there is a significant amount of hand holding required i think we are fairly in early stage of the journey and we need to collaborate as a ecosystem to bring many more such initiatives together since you mentioned the full circle i guess in your own career starting blue asha was in a way uh, returning to something that uh, and you've talked about how uh, some of the things that really influenced you very very early on earlier on in your life uh, tell us a little bit of uh, that uh, you know what was what was that uh, growing up like that childhood like in that village in rajasthan so i would say uh, i am born and brought up in a village and village life in those days particularly in the uh mid 70s uh, late 70s and early 80s was very different uh most of the time we were just trying to make our basics uh managed uh, whether it's uh, water whether it's uh, firewoods firewoods i mean essentially we were all spending our time on on the basics of the uh, human sustenance and that gave me a significant amount of uh, i'm i'm thankful to that experience that that kept me grounded uh, to a large extent uh, in my whole career because i could relate to the core needs of the society the basic needs of the society and how each one of us could spend uh, time and our energy to really meet those needs uh, even while i was uh, working in the larger corporates including my time with barclays uh, i used to always take time in my Uh, weekdays i mean in my in my weekends or whenever i used to go for a little break i used to go to the grassroots trying to understand spending time in tribal areas spending time in various other grassroots levels and trying to understand what can be done differently which can have a wider impact so that was there at the back of my mind always while i was there uh, in the corporate life so as and when i decided i need to step down from my uh, corporate role i think uh, doing something more meaningful related to Uh, what we are doing currently on blue so it's very natural to me and a large part of that you can say the grounding or you can say has come through my uh, early connect with the uh, rural livelihood in, in as as a as a as a child what was the name of the village uh, that you came from i i originally come from seeker district in rajasthan there is a village called bagariawas uh, and it's it's in sri madhopur uh, uh, taluka there it's uh, this our village is about 80 kilometers from jaipur and uh, do you recall any uh, anecdotes or any early uh, things that you heard from your parents that you saw and I, you've written about uh, running tasks for your grandfather's shop and so on uh, things that looking back you feel Uh, had a sort of largish impact on your uh, 
career decisions and your outlook and so on yeah a couple of things actually i can relate to it so as a uh, as a child when i used to come back from the school uh, like uh, you tend to keep the bag and run away for uh, for playing and uh, my grandfather with whom i spent uh, significant amount of time as a child he used to say hey come and do this hisab uh, some some hisab has to be done and uh, he will give me some calculations some has to something has to be done he will give me bahi and uh, you do all these things and i used to take about half an hour 45 minutes and then he says you don't know the tables aapko pahade nahi aate to humne kaha pahada to humko aata hai 40 tak aata hai hum suna dete hain bole isse kuch nahi hota you to start learning the pahadas in the way that you want to you should learn so he used to always ask me to uh, uh, iterate the tables uh, for सवाया डेढ़ा ढाया मतलब टू एंड हाफ का पहाड़ा टू एंड हाफ इज टू एंड हाफ टू एंड हाफ टू इज टू फाइव टू एंड हाफ टू पॉइंट हाफ टू सेवन एंड हाफ सो दोज थिंग्स दीज आर दीज आर वेरी डिफिकल्ट नाउ डेज टू इवन टेल चिल्ड्रन दैट दिस इज हाउ द लाइफ वॉज दोज डेज बट एक्चुअली दैट ग्राउंडिंग ऑफ मैथ्स दैट आई हैड फ्रॉम माई ग्रांड फादर इट वॉज वेरी वेरी इट हैड अ वेरी प्रोफाउंड इम्पैक्ट ऑन मी सो एटलीस्ट द कैलकुलेशन बिकेम मच शार्पर एंड मच फोकस्ड similar was the case that uh, when we used to write in the olden days and there used to be the, the red bahi jiske upar likhte the uh, you know every page is numbered uh, one to like 100 as you turn to page 56 he will say is pe kuch mat likhna don't write anything on this page 56 ke pane pe kuch nahi likhna and i mean as a child we used to always say ki why he says uh, this you don't write anything but and then he, he explained to me that saying that in 56 there was a big famine and uh, he was talking about summer 56 not the year 56 the calendar year 56 though and just don't write because there was a significant amount of uh, impact on the food availability in the villages and whomsoever lent money in, in in that period actually had to wave off everything because nobody had money to pay back so he said that that's a that's a worst memory that we can remember where food itself was a luxury so don't throw food and don't write anything on page number 56 now some of these things when it gets ingrained in you in a very early days then food becomes a luxury for you i mean you don't want to do anything nonsensical by just uh, taking food for granted and basics for granted i think that rural upbringing had a significant amount of uh, you can say uh, it brought a significant amount of humility in our uh, in our in our day to day life as we grew up hmm. this early uh... Time you spent with your grandfather did that also sort of uh, lead to the choice of finance as a career? <laughs> to be very honest, uh, I don't think I can directly relate to it. But I remember uh, when I was studying in my college, and uh, no, those days uh, the government jobs used to be the only preferred option for 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 so-called success parameter par- uh, parameter. So we happened to come across chartered accountancy as a course, and I said. Uh, let's opt for it and the simple reason was that at least the job was guaranteed after this so as you coming from a very lower middle class family you know you have to first make sure that you get your you get an entry into corporate life or some job somewhere else. so that's how it started and the, once you get into this of course uh, the immense opportunity start opening up so i don't think we had too much of career choices to make we wanted to get into something which can at least provide a job security and i'm talking about my days in in i'm talking about uh, late 80s when and there were not many options uh, there in the country hmm. of course you went on to have a stellar international career in, and in such a career there must have been many interesting experiences and highs and lows but uh, to your mind can you recall what what might have been uh, 
maybe the worst low point or a pivotal moment and on the flip side what might have been uh, the most memorable high point and there have been many low points uh in my case at least uh, transitioning from village to an urban area for my college education and from a from transitioning coming back coming to mumbai for a for a job there have been significant amount of change and challenges and every change and challenge brought a low point at some point in time uh it's full of it i don't want to talk about it let let's keep on the positive side no, uh, sure. but uh, uh but on high point i can tell you uh, when i transitioned from my day to day uh, finance services role to join icsa direct to build icsa direct platform frankly enough as a chartered accountant i hardly knew anything about technology and here we have to build something best in class competing with swab and e trade of the world and trying to build something where there's no precedent of building it in india and here i am surrounded with significantly uh, experience uh, you can say computer technocrats and they have been talking about all those middleware hardware tuxedo and i don't know how what kind of jargons was being thrown every day on me and a chartered accountant who has to deal with it on 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 a real life basis it it brought a significant amount of challenge and the challenge led me a significant high because as i was started learning about it deep diving in it it was a big challenge and i could exactly relate to this when i stepped down from my role in barclays and here you are dealing with uh, with with scientist who is talking about uh, you know chemistry and biochemistry and polymer chemistry and uh, nanophase material uh, phase separation and you talk about uh, uh, you know it's it's a very significant change and challenge that you come across because i have not been a turn Uh, basically uh, i have not studied chemistry as deep as i should have as, as learned but i realized that ultimately if you start spending time in the in the area of your interest and you start spending time trying to work with the ecosystem player you get a reasonably good amount of common sensical understanding to deal with the subject and of course you have uh, you have to lean on your uh, advisors mentors your colleagues who understand this the most and they can of course then uh, play a significant amount of role in that but i always believe that uh, your education should not be seen as a as a barrier to enter somewhere and and your experience every time you get into a new set of uh, uh, environment i think your learning is is phenomenal you you should not be afraid of taking the change and challenge uh, as as a low point actually you should consider it a high point so in 2019 to 2021 when i was learning through all these things again a high moment high high moment came in that we could relate to it hey this is something that we can understand and hopefully we can deal with it in a meaningful manner now before every high point there is always a low point because without low point there is no high point it's always relative to it so unless you go through those uh, uh, challenges you will not realize that you are on a little high point so i always say that uh, this is a relative definition so you would really want to be at high point first you have to go through a bit of low point somewhere it's pretty clear that you are very passionate about uh... engaging with these young entrepreneurs on a regular basis and uh, it's amazing how you still want to keep learning uh, about them and from them and so on uh, in your career what have you uh, you know learned about how to motivate encourage leaders and so on to get them how do you get them to channelize their efforts i have one very simple lesson and that is sense of ownership if you mm. have sense of ownership you can achieve anything uh I can talk about my own experience. Uh, there are two set of people that you come across. 
people who behave and work like an employee and people who come and behave like an owner. The people who have a sense of ownership or their attitude is like an owner that, hey, this, the buck stops at me. I need to resolve it. Ultimately, I'm responsible for it. You will see a very, very different set of goals coming from them, different set of outcomes coming from them. And I always keep telling all my colleagues who have worked with me and the people who come across me saying that you have a very, very high sense of ownership in whatever you do. Then you don't need to be told what time you need to come, what time you need to go, what you need to do, how you need to do. You will, you will figure your own way out because you have a very, very high sense of ownership. The other thing that I have learned and I have always believed that if you come across anybody who is coming from a little disadvantaged background, little non-privileged background, whether because of his ability of not being able to fluently speak in the language of your choice, because he has not been grown up in a most comfortable environment or any, you can say, non-privileged setting, you will see a very different sense of ownership because he or she has to achieve something more than what others have to achieve. And you will always find these kind of, a, you can say, outliers. The third thing is that sometimes you go through very low point in your career. And I have come across many, you can say, not so successful entrepreneurs and they have attempted their entrepreneurial journey. Somehow they didn't succeed for whatever reason. And you can identify different reasons, but they have not succeeded. But if you get them back into something, they come with the vengeance. They come with something more meaningful to be achieved because they need to now prove at double the energy that the failure was just a coincidence. They deserve much more than what they achieved. So you will find a very different sense of ownership. So I always believe that when you try to look for people, look for the sense of ownership. If you can get them uh, or you can motivate them or you can, uh, if you can push them to have a higher and higher sense of ownership in whatever they do, you will achieve much more than any motivational leadership that can, that can lead to. Leadership actually is outcome of your sense of ownership. The moment you own it, you become a leader. And you will realize it in our family also. No, in a, in a large family, when you see, there are some people who always have a higher sense of ownership. Like anytime there is a challenge, they will first take the responsibility and they will say, oh, let me try to do things. Then what happens? As you, as you display more sense of responsibility, you get more sense of ownership, you get more and more power. Everyone then comes to you. So all these leadership and uh, this uh, delegation and all these concepts that we come across in management books essentially flow from one common thread and that is sense of ownership or sense of responsibility. Awesome. Truly amazing conversation. Very insightful for me. Uh, Satya, thank you so much for making time for this. Uh, really enjoyed it. Wonderful conversation. Definitely hope to keep it going. Thanks, Hari. Really appreciate uh, you and Forbes taking time out to have this. is a wonderful and I'm sure this will, uh, this will be helpful to our listeners. And thank you so much. Thanks for your time. All right. Terrific conversation. That was uh, Satya Bansal, founder and CEO of Blue Ashore Capital. That's it for today's Startup Fridays. I'll be back next week with another conversation. Until then, wherever you are, uh, I hope you're doing well, staying safe. Have a great Friday and a wonderful weekend ahead.